At the crack of the bat, everyone stood to their feet. And a muscular young man rounded first base, a 55,000 pair of eyes focused on a small white sphere. Slowly it got higher and higher and further and further out until it cleared the center field fence and came to rest in the eager hands of an excited onlooker. And then the roar from the crowd became so deafening that it hypnotized even the most placid fan into great jubilation. Was this some important baseball game? Was it perhaps the playoffs or the World Series? No, it was just an ordinary game. Just an ordinary Monday baseball game last August in Dodger Stadium. I was there. Many of you were there. And we got caught up with the crowd as a home run was hit. And I remember thinking at the time, how in the world can any team lose with such a great supportive crowd rooting them on? I suppose any coach will tell you how much difference it makes when you're playing in your own home field. How much difference it makes when you have your own hometown crowd cheering you. It seems like the prospect of winning multiplies. But alas, the crowds are fickle. And sometimes they'll turn on you. And what used to be a credit is now a, a debit. And it is no longer to your advantage. But there's always one type of support you can count on. If you're playing athletics, there's always one group of people you know are going to support you, and that's your teammates. I've been watching lately wrestling matches at high school, and I have enjoyed the way that each wrestler is greeted and welcomed back to the team after his match. You know, wrestling is an individual sort of sport. You're out there on your own. And yet each one, whether they won or lost, is welcomed back when they come back with the other members of their team. For that guy knows that no matter what, his team is on his side and they are supporting him. I know that feeling too. I played a, a sort of a non-spectator sport. In high school and college, I was on a golf team and there were never crowds except in tournaments at, at a golf match. And, but you could always count when you got to that 17th, 18th hole that your team members would be there. And they would be supporting you. They were on your side. This passage in the book of Hebrews talks about you and I being in the arena. We are in a race. We are in a race and I want you to see the crowds and the stadium is full. It's full of fickle fans. There are worldly people looking on. They look down on this team of Christ. They look down on these Christians to see how they run. They'll laugh at you when you fall down. They will boo when you make an error. They will rejoice when the fights and the quarrels begin. They will raise to their feet and, and shout at the sign of bloodshed. But I want you to look closely. As you stand in the arena, I want you to look closely at the crowds. Because if you look closely, you can see our teammates there. There are our teammates and they're cheering us on. Look up there to the left. Look up there and you'll see Noah. He ran a long race. He had a specific task. He faced a crowd of ridicule and scoffing and scorn. And you know, he had to run it almost all alone. 
Are you out there running alone? Has God given you a task that seems beyond completion? Do you feel like quitting because there's no one around to help you? I want you to look up and see Brother Noah. He's cheering you on. I can hear him say, stick with it. Don't give up. It's worth it. And look over there. Look over there on the other side of Noah. You see that man in the fine clothes? You see that man surrounded with his family? That's Job. Nobody ever ran a tougher race than Job. He started out as a leader of a whole team of runners, and then they were taken away from him. He started out in a fine running suit, and it turned to rags. He even had to run the race barefooted. He started out in perfect health, but it turned out that he had to run most of the race in the worst of physical conditions. Do you think your race is too tough? Have you lost your loved ones, your running mates? Have your worldly possessions turned to dust? Has your health faded like a summer flower after the first frost? Then look up and see Brother Job, for he's rooting for you. And he's shouting, run, boy, run. Hang in there. It's worth it. And look over on this side. Do you remember Daniel? Do you remember Daniel? He had to run his race in the opponent's field in a foreign land. And he was forced to run the wrong direction, but he would not run that way. He openly opposed the foreign authorities and ran where he knew he should. But Daniel was heavily penalized. Are you being pressured to run in another direction by your friends or by your family? Or by civil authorities? Are you suffering detention and harm for the way you run? Are you in the penalty box unjustly for merely running the race correctly? Are you the one that is facing what looks like certain spiritual death? Then I want you to look up. Look up and see Brother Daniel. There he is. He's jumping and yelling and waving you on. And hear him shout, God is able. Hear him shout, your God is able to deliver, able to get you going again, able to give you victory. Keep running. Don't give up now. It's worth the run. How about down there? Do you see the man down there? That's John the Baptist. You know, there weren't many other runners during his time. He had to run the preliminary race. The big one was to follow. John was the best there was out there, but he was second string. Are you the one that's always out there running and ending up in second place? Are you the one that has to run while all the crowd is out to the concession stands? Is it your job in life merely to get people's attention focused on someone else? Are you the one who feels constantly overshadowed by the imminence of those around you? If so, then look up. Look up and see Brother John. You can't miss him. He's the one with the camel hair coat and the wide leather belt. He's the one in the winner's circle. Look, he's cheering you on. And he's yelling, keep on going. Stick with it. It's worth it. Look over there. Do you see that little guy? 
Do you see that little guy jumping up and down and cheering? That's St. Paul. He ran a big race. He ran a big race uphill all the way. And friends, he won by a mile. Now the crowd got mad at him. And they would often come down the stands and clobber him, but he would just not give up. He just kept right on running. He not only ran a good race, but he also talked a lot of folks into running with him. He was the coach. Are you the one running uphill? Do you have the responsibility of leading others? Does it seem to you that nobody's following you? Are you chased off the track by an angry mob? Then look up. Look up and see Brother Paul. There's nobody in the stands yelling louder for you than Brother Paul. He's on your side. He's yelling advice to you from the sidelines. Listen to the old coach. He's saying, stick with it. He's saying, keep those knees up and kick and kick. He's saying, hang in there. It's worth it. Look at them. Look at all of them. Certainly we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And if you look closely at that crowd, you'll see Augustine and Luther and Wesley. You'll see Spurgeon and Moody, Billy Sunday and Peter Marshall. And look up just ahead, just cross that finish line. Those who have just made it across and have not yet even changed their clothes. Who do you see up there? Isn't that grandma or grandpa? Isn't that mom or dad? Isn't that your husband or your wife or your loved one? There they are. Don't you see them? They're on your side and they're cheering you on. They want you to make it. How can you let them down? With a great crowd like this, how can you lose? How can you fail? It's a sad thing to say, but many do fail. Many are like the shallow ground that quickly sprouts a plant, and when the sun bears down on it, it soon withers and dies. Many look great during the warm-up exercises, but are complete failures on the racetrack. And this passage in Hebrews gives those in this condition some pointers. For the passage says, first of all, let us lay aside every weight, I understand when you're training to run, often you run with weights strapped to your ankles for practice. And after you've practiced, you take those weights off and you can run much faster. But I'm afraid that many of us start and begin and try to finish the race with the weights still on our ankles. We find it's a hard race to run. When I, when my boys were quite small, you know, I suppose all boys do this, they like to sit on your feet. And they kind of put their arms and legs around you and sit right on your feet. And it's great fun to go walking through the house with one boy strapped onto you. Now that's quite nice when they're a year or two old. But when they get to be as old and as big as my boys, I can barely move. And they still hold on. Well, you know, we do that with our sins in our life. We put them there on our foot and strap them on and they look kind of cute. And we can still run around all right, but they start to grow. And by now, many of us are hobbling along that racetrack almost at a standstill. Hebrews says we should put aside those weights 
We should put aside those obvious sins, sins of immorality and sins of bitterness, sins of anger and sins of jealousy, all of these things that weight us down, that slow us down, that restrict us. But you know, they're not only obvious sins that restrict us, there are also a lot of good things that slow down a runner. Now, a nice pair of street shoes, there's nothing sinful about those, or a heavy overcoat. But you wouldn't put either one on a runner and put him out on the racetrack and expect him to win the race. They're nice things, but they don't fit the occasion. St. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And so there are many things that are not sinful, but they are extremely hazardous to the race. There are many things that are easily ensnaring us, get our attention away from the race itself. So I'm afraid that there are many people trying to run down that track with a TV set strapped on their backs, or a refrigerator hooked to their leg, or the office chained to their ankle. Well, these things aren't bad, but they can often and do often slow down the race. You see, we must get rid of anything that would slow us down. The passage in Hebrews says we must get rid of any sin that clings to us closely. And here they're thinking about cloth, about long flowing garments, and how difficult it would be to run in such a garb. Just Christmas Day, I, I was watching two of Janet's little stepsisters who are almost three years old. And they've got some new toys for Christmas. They were little things you get on and ride, a green little snake of a thing, but it's called an inchworm kind of thing, and you jump up and down and ride it. Now they got those and they liked those very much, but they also got some beautiful long dresses, and they wanted to wear the beautiful long dresses, which they did. But it, they found out it was quite difficult to be ladylike in your long dress and get and straddle that inchworm and ride it. The dress was much too restricting. And so, in this passage, we are said, we should put aside every sin that clings so closely. We should put aside anything that restricts us, anything that hinders us, anything that slows us down, anything that keeps us from top efficiency. For the passage says, let us run this race with perseverance. Let us hold on to our course of action and our belief and our purpose in life without giving way. For you see, we are in pursuit of a goal. We are in pursuit of a finish line. There are no sidetracks, no shortcuts. We must run with endurance. We must withstand the hardships, the disappointments. And not just endure, not just get by, but get by with peace and patience and a calmness and a trust that God is in control. We must remain steadfast and unchanging in our goal. We must settle for nothing less than victory. Now that seems like a large task, a big task. How in the world can we possibly make it in such a tough race? I want you to look at that cheering crowd again. I want you to look up there in the reviewing stand. And who is it that's sitting in the judge's chair? Why, look, it's Jesus. Let us look to Jesus, the author and finisher, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For it is Jesus who is the author of our faith. He is the one who laid out the course, who built the stands, who designed the racetrack. He is the pioneer. He is the one who blazed the trail. Often I've looked at the Sierras and wondered how that first pioneer ever made it over there. 
How in the world could they know which direction to go or how you make it across? And so Jesus was the pioneer. He was the one that blazed the trail, who first cleared the way for us to follow. He was the author and the pioneer and the perfecter because he showed us how to run the course. He made sure we could finish the race. It was custom designed for us. And he is the finisher. He is the one that made it through the race himself. His finish got us enough points to ensure our victory. We must merely finish the race. Do you remember the race that he ran? Remember, he knows what it's like. My, the crowds filled into the stadium that day. My, how the stands were crowded when he began to run. And multitudes packed into the stadium, and they cheered and applauded after each lap. But before long, there were a group of critics in the audience. For you see, he was just too good. He was too perfect. He did everything right. Surely he was cheating, they said. Surely he was doing something illegal. They began to spread lies about him in the crowd. He broke the training rules, they whispered. He was on pep pills, they hissed. He called this beautiful stadium a pile of junk. He chased the vendors out of the aisles and back into the parking lot. He's been seen with known criminal types. His character, his ability, his reputation were all called into question by those ranting critics who moved throughout the stands. No longer was the crowd so jubilant when he ran past, and slowly the boos and the cheers began to drown out the applause and the cheers. And the crowd began to get nasty, and they started throwing things at him. Paper cups and hot dog wrappers soon turned to beer bottles and baseball bats. But no matter how wounded he was, he kept on running. So the crowd got insane with their anger. They got so insane that even the officials wanted to call off the race. They pulled him aside, and they asked him, and they begged him, and they threatened him to get him to stop the race. Still, he kept on running. They even beat him. Still, he kept on running. And finally, the furious critics rushed onto the track, and they grabbed him up, and there in the middle of the arena, there with all the eyes focused upon him, they, the critics, the officials, and the crowd, they killed him. No teammates came to his rescue. There was no one in the crowd to run for him. He was alone. He was murdered in the very stadium he built, killed by the very people he came to help as he ran the very race he had designed. Well, the races were over for that day, and everyone went home. But friends, let me tell you that the race was not over, that there in the dark of night, with no one looking on, with no one who cared about him cheering in the stands, in the stillness of an empty stadium, the pat, 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 pat of a runner was heard. And in those early morning hours, two ladies who were avid fans came back to the huge stadium to bury him, but he was not lying where they had last seen him. And they went over to ask the whereabouts of his body from a runner who they supposed was practicing for the next day's event. But to their surprise, they saw a familiar smile and a bruised body. It was him. He is alive, and he is still running. His other teammates did not believe the two ladies when they returned to tell them what, that he was still running. 
And with much doubt and disbelief, they made their way through that near-empty street to the stadium. They filtered into the huge arena about daybreak. First his team, then his family, then a few others. Surprised at what they saw, ashamed at their own actions, they stared with complete amazement. There he was, and he was running. They saw him as he crossed the finish line. He won. They won. We won. He made it. We are victorious. The crowd that saw him cross the finish line might have been small, but they were ecstatic. And after a wild and jubilant victory celebration, they ran through the town and through the village and through the countryside, proclaiming to everyone his victory. They ran across counties and states and nations. They ran through the years and the decades and the centuries, proclaiming this good news. And alas, now we have been handed the torch. It is our turn to run. Today, the stadium is once again full. Only this time, we are the ones who are running. I don't care where you are in the race. I don't care how close to the finish line you are or how far away. It matters not what the crowd is yelling or how tired you may be or how much you want to give up. Brother and sister, I want you to look ahead to that judge's stand. Look up there and see Him. See King Jesus. He's on our side. And He's the only judge. Look again. Look again and you'll see that He's not just sitting there waiting. Why, look, He's cheering and He's clapping and He's rooting for you and for me. I can almost hear Him say, Run. Run. Hang in there. Keep it up. You can make it. Keep going. It's worth it. Can't you hear him say to all those angels on the judges' platform, that's my team. Those are my boys. Those are my girls. See how they run. See how they run. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, we do give to you our lives in dedication. Father, may you work in each life to strip us from those weights and burdens. May we keep our eyes upon you as we run. May we finish the course to your glory. Amen.